Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In this series, Genesis, A New Perspective, we are trying to breathe fresh life into this ancient text that lays the foundation for the Christian Bible. Each week, we will be exploring different ways that these Genesis stories impact us and the world around us and our ways of understanding God. I hope you enjoy. Is it true that all is fair in love and war? Is it true? Your heart, it's overwhelmed with love for another. Or maybe you're fighting for your country or for your life. Is deceit a fair path to take, to get what you want? We will be exploring this question as we continue now in our Genesis series, where we are now in the 29th chapter. So you'll remember two weeks ago, Alex preached about the blessings that Isaac had given to Jacob and to Esau. So now I kind of need to do like a catch-up for you, because you've missed a lot of things in between. So I'm going to fill you in on what's happened since the blessings. So here's where we are. Jacob used deceit to get the blessing from his father, instead of the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. But you'll remember, it was a blessing that he would have plenty to eat, that people would serve him, that nations would bow down to him. I'm thinking Jacob was pretty happy with the deceit he used to get his blessing. It's like he's won the lottery. Everything is going his way. At least it seems like it at the start. He's gained everything he's wanted. Nothing can stop him now. He is a man in control of his life. Oh, but so quickly things change. Oh, so very quickly Jacob realizes there's a price to pay for his deceitfulness. For you see, he has to leave home now. And I don't think he was counting on that. He has to leave home. He has to leave his beloved mother, Rebecca, his father. He must flee for his life. So you might think, well, why is that? Well, you see, this brother Esau was not that happy with Jacob. You can imagine, can't you? Jacob stole his blessing, right? Scripture says that Esau was filled with hatred that all he could think about was killing his brother Jacob. And Rebecca, oh my gosh, she heard about this. She heard about Esau wanting to kill Jacob, and she's like, what do I do? Jacob has to leave. So Rebecca went to Isaac and said, we must send Jacob to be at my mother's family, to my brother's brother Laban. Let him go there, and he can get a wife there. And Isaac agrees with Rebecca. So he gives Jacob kind of a blessing, not as big of a blessing before, but kind of a send-off. And then Jacob is on his way now to go to Haran, to the land on the east. So he begins this long trip, and, you know, it's not like he's in a car driving for eight hours. All the things I read about distances and things said that it could have even been almost 500 miles to get to Haran, or Haran, but... They're not sure the distance, but it was far. For Jacob had to travel by foot. He was walking day after day. 
He comes to this place to spend the night, and in those days you didn't have a tent even, you just laid on the ground. So Jacob spends the night in Bethel. And here is where another very significant event happens, and we need to kind of pay attention to that. Jacob has a dream. Do any of you remember the song, Jacob's Ladder? Shake your head, yeah? Well, that song was about this dream. So Jacob has a dream of this ladder with angels going up and down the ladder. But most important what happens is God spoke to him in his dream. God spoke to him, reminding him of the promises that had been given to him by Isaac, the promises that he had received. God said, I will be with you always, Jacob. The promises that I have made, they will become true. So you and me, looking back on that, I think that was pretty significant for Jacob. Because he's going to need to remember these promises. He's going to need to be reminded that God spoke to him. And most of all, he's going to need to remember that God is near. That God is with him, no matter what comes before him in the days ahead. So Jacob continues on with his journey now, still traveling many, many miles until he finally, finally gets to his destination. And that's where we begin our passage this morning. So now I've caught you up, and we're right where we should be. So it all begins at the well, a place of water. Now I want to ask you, does this sound familiar to you? The well? It should. Remember Isaac had his servant go to find Rebekah? You'll remember that they also went to a well. And so Isaac found Rebekah at a well, and Jacob is now at a well looking for his own wife. The well holds great significance in many ways. Even back there it did, and even for us it does today. The well was a symbol of wisdom, a source of water that is below the ground. The water that really is kind of a mystery. It's, it's under the earth. It's below real far deep down. It's hidden, but accessible. And it's accessible to those who know how to get the water. Those people then, and we too understand, that water is valued for life. It's vital for us to live, and it's worthy of the intense effort that was needed to bring that water to the surface. So for us, the well also becomes a spiritual connection for us, a connection between water and God, God who is invisible but accessible, God who wants a relationship with us, God who is life-giving. So it's at the well this beautiful source of life, that Jacob has his eyes meet his love of his life, Rachel, and he falls in love. It's love at first sight, Scripture says. The well is the place where this love flourishes, and Jacob knows what he wants. He knows he wants to have Rachel. That's why he came here. But now again, There's a price to pay for the deception. For now, things don't go quite as smoothly for Jacob as they did for his father Isaac. 
when he went to get Rebecca. Seems kind of interesting, but Jacob comes now with empty hands. Hmm. No gifts of gold or jewelry. History tells us that Jacob initially started out on his journey with many things to give as a dowry for his wife. But that Esau, because he was so angry, sent his son after Jacob and actually robbed him on the journey. This makes quite a lot of sense that this is how it happened. So Jacob is now at the well. He sees the love of his life. He has nothing to give her, nothing at all to give him. And Laban, which is the person who would receive the payment, ever being so aware of the high price that Rachel would bring, comes running to the well. See, Laban remembers Isaac. He was instrumental in having Isaac marry Rebekah. So Laban, Laban knew that, that Jacob was very wealthy and that his father would bring many things as gift. Laban was very smart in knowing there was something he would get out of this. He wanted this relationship to work. He was most impressed with jewelry always in the past, and he was now too. So now here we are with Jacob, no gifts to give, and Rachel, the wife he wants to have. So what does he do? He agrees to work for seven years in payment for Rachel. Hmm. At this point, it does seem that all is fair in love and war. Jacob will continue to pay a price for his deception to Isaac, the deception that left him broke and now living in a foreign land. And Laban, I think in a way it's like he's fighting a war. It makes sense to me. He's trying to get anything he can get from Jacob. And Jacob, he will need to remember again the words that God spoke to him at Bethel. God's words will be his strength, And they will be his courage as he works tirelessly for his father-in-law at no personal gain for seven years. Jacob can hold in his heart that someday Rachel will be his. So the word spoken by his invisible God will sustain him. And he does go ahead and work for his wife. But now we have another twist in the story, don't we? Jacob, the deceiver, is now deceived. For Laban gives to him Leah to be his wife instead of Rachel. Another deception occurs. It's almost like a mystery story, isn't it? Now, one might be really thinking, that Laban, he's a mean guy. I don't like him. But, you know, really, he's just looking out for himself trying to make the most for his family. He wants to get his daughter married, so both of his daughters married, so have a secure future. He's got this guy who's going to work his farm for him free. So Jacob is doing what he needs to do to secure his own security in the future. The deceiver is now deceived himself. But what we cannot miss, and what really is central to our message this morning, is that there's this mysterious thread of God's presence among the whole mess. It is a mess. God giving promises in a blessing, 
God revealing love at the well, God giving words of encouragement in a dream, God who can use even deceitful intentions to bring about good outcomes. We do have an amazing God, don't we? So now back to my original question. Is it fair to use deception to get what you want? It seems the events in history that have been unfolding before us, the stories of Isaac, of Rebekah, of Jacob, of Esau, of Laban, they tell us something very important about deception and about the life we have with God. The deceivers become deceived, but that's not the end, is it? No! The pattern continues over and over and over again, and there always seems to be a price to pay for the deception that prevails. But we have to remember this. It's the relationship with God that gives vitality to our lives, especially during difficult times, times when we might have to pay the price for the ways we've deceived others, ourselves. Jacob, he longed to be home. He longed to be with his family, yet he was bound to stay for 14 years. And Esau, he had that burning anger, and that's hard for him, too. His heart was dark for a long time. And Laban, he ended up with a strained relationship with Jacob and both of his daughters. It's so true that we pay a price when we play the game of deception. There's another piece, I think, that we have to take from this, and that it's a humbling experience, too, to be deceived. And that's not bad in the life of a Christian. Humbling is realizing that one really isn't in control of one's life. An important lesson to learn, I believe. Jacob was humbled in realizing what it was like to be at the other end of the cycle of deceit. I wonder if he ever put that together, how his own deception resulted in him being deceived and the cycle that continued. What comes around goes around, and how true it is for you and me today. We are not strangers to the cycle of deceit. I don't even need to list things to you. You already know this. The business world, the political systems within our government, even within our own community and families, we engage in antics all the time to get what we want in life, thinking that we deserve what we want. I'm thinking, too, for Jacob, he was like that. He was thinking he was in control of his own destiny. Think about that. I have a story, a true story, that I want to share with you this morning that still continues to sadden my heart. Most of you know I used to work in the rehab hospital as a chaplain, and I'll never forget this one visit I had with a patient. Now, I want you to know, I visited hundreds of patients, hundreds, and this story still remains within me in a powerful way. So I entered this patient's room, and the shades were drawn, and it was dark in the room. I could tell that this man was at a deep, dark place the minute I entered the room. He sat before me in disbelief, tears flowing down from his face, questioning what his whole life had been about. 
Yes. Questioning what his whole life had been about. At this very moment when I visited with him, he was, he was really lost. He was discouraged and he was, he was empty on the inside. I could feel his emptiness. Because, you see, this is what happened to him. He went on to tell me the story of his life. He had worked his whole life at a job that he hated. Every day he went to work and he hated his job. But he told me he thought it was worth it because he made a lot of money. He worked at a job every day, week after week, year after year, on a job he hated because it gave him great money. He accumulated great wealth. But you see, he worked so much because the money was so important that he forgot about his family and his children. He had no time for them, no time for any relationships. He had to work. That was the focus of his life. And he certainly didn't think he needed to have God in his life because he was a man who was in control of his destiny. He knew what he wanted and he knew how to get it. So he envisioned that he was going to retire soon and it was going to be the golden years and it was going to be great. He was going to do whatever he wanted. He had time to enjoy the life he had left behind, really. But see, now he's in the hospital. He's not in an acute care hospital going home in a week. He, he's in a rehab hospital, and he's, he's very disabled. He's had a serious stroke, and see, what's happened is the way he lived his life, he's, he's not able now to cope with the reality of the life as it is now. For his hopes and dreams, they're all lost. His wife and family, they were disconnected from him. They're really kind of unknowns in his life. Sitting before me, he shared that he didn't even know where to find God. This is an important point for us to make today. We pay the price for deceiving others, but the greatest tragedy of all is when we deceive ourselves. And I want to say that one more time. The greatest tragedy of all is when we deceive ourselves. Because this patient, he had deceived himself his whole life. He thought it was about the job, the money, moving up the ladder. But he realized at this point, it wasn't. It wasn't any of the things he thought. Here he had given all this time of energy to something that now left him empty and poor in spirit, unable to really handle the challenges that life was giving him. He never thought to look for the one who could give true meaning to his life. He never thought to look to God who would help him make a journey through his life, a life that I'm so sure would look so different at this point. At the core level, I believe Jacob deceived himself too. He thought he could trick others to get what he wanted, but all along it was God who was there underneath the source of life. Jacob learned to trust in God. It took him a while, but he did. He learned to trust in God and not in himself. And he learned to believe in God's prevailing presence. During the cycle of deception, 
God's presence that in somehow always works things for the good outcome. We do have an amazing God, don't we? I have another important point for you that I don't want you to forget this morning. I'm sure you're going to remember deceiving, deception, deception, deceiving. But this is what's really important for you to know. Deception is really nothing to do about God and everything to do about our own insatiable appetite to feel we're in control of our lives. Deception, at the very base, prevents us from believing that we really need to find the well. We really need to find the well, the living God, the God of love, the one who is invisible but accessible. See, God wants to journey with us all through our life. God doesn't want to just be at the end of our life, standing there waiting. God wants to be intertwined into every aspect of our lives, for it's God who will give us what we need to face each day head on, no matter what deceptions come our way. That patient I talked to wasn't too late. God was still there for him. God will be there in the future for that patient. He lost all this time, though. He lost all that precious time of journeying with God, preparing him for the life he was now facing. So this is another point we're going to end with. There is no deceiving God about who we are. That's the truth. You can deceive your co-workers. You can deceive your neighbors. You can deceive your friends. You can deceive your family. And you really can deceive yourself. But there is no deceiving the God who really knows who you are. For we can most clearly see and know ourselves in the reflection of the relationship that we have with God. We can most clearly know who we are when God is in our life. So Jacob heard God in a dream. Where and how is God speaking to you today? Go to the well often. Go to the well every day and learn to listen to the God who is still speaking to us today. Let us learn to hear God's words to us each and every day. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.